Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. A 40-year-old spoke to you? I'm so sorry that happened to you. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. You should have been networking all along. Don't stop networking. What if you stop networking? With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. What is Snapchat? I don't understand what that is. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Funniest social worker ever. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about the mom gap, getting back out there. Where are we getting, Amy? Where exactly are we getting back out there to? Getting back to the us's we used to be before <laughs> we went to music together all the time. Oh, yeah. hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm into that. I'm down with that plan. I would like to get out there and bridge the mom gap. Well, the U.S. Department of Labor says about a third of college-educated mothers pause their careers for a significant amount of time. I'm surprised. Surprised it's only a third. Yeah, me too. Seems like it would be higher than that. We all, I mean, I think even the most high-powered, I took two days off working moms among us would still say, like, it changes, right? Your priorities shift. They must. And I feel like I know a lot of women who stopped working when they had kids or at least stopped working in their chosen profession. Right. You know, they kind of took having children. My mom did this. I did this. I did this. So we're basically talking about getting back out there into the workforce, not just brushing your hair and getting back outside, which some of us also need (laughs) getting out of sweatpants. We can talk about that if you want. That would be a good step one for me. Yeah. No, this is the like, and sometimes people are doing it for a year I put up on our um, Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash what fresh hellcast. I asked people about like, hey, if you've done this for three years or a decade and they're like, how about 15 years? How about 20? This is a this can be a long time at home. And if you did it good for you and then you go back and for so many of us. The jobs that we used to have are literally shifting underneath us like retail uh, journalism magazines, fashion and marketing. And suddenly, like you went from being 20 to being like 97 years old, you know, I mean, you walk in, I did this recently, I had a job share with a cousin of mine. And she had left all work basically 15 years ago. 
and she and I did a job, shared a job, and we went back in together. And I had been in and out a little bit of the workforce, but like not like putting on high heels and going to an office, which this job was, although I never put on high heels. And <laughs> Never. Wait a minute. That would never happen. Oh, God. It doesn't happen. <laughs> Cowboy boots, ladies. That's my number one tip for this. Cowboy boots look like fancy shoes, but feel like sneakers. That's my number one tip for getting back in. Feel like you could kick someone if you needed to. But it was shocking. We worked in media. And so like it had all of these factors, which was like, wait a minute, what is Snapchat? I don't understand what that is. Wait a minute. How I was, you know, in my 40s and I was 10 years older than almost every other of the 200 people who worked on my floor at this like fancy media building in New York City. And I felt like a dinosaur, you know? Yeah. And you're- we were always cold. I was like, okay, we have to stop wrapping up in blankets because we're not helping our granny look. But like, I was like, aren't you guys cold? Like, it's crazy how old you feel. You're reporting to people who are, you know, maybe some of them five or 10 years past the like, oh, mom, you don't know anything. No, oh, yeah. It's like basically being with your kids during the yeah. day. Yeah. And the idea that you honor life experience doesn't exactly come into play all the time. And- the fact that you're a mom on top of it. I went back, I mean, show business, right? I always say like, if you turn on the TV and Winona Ryder's playing the mom, then, you know, this is not going to be the same. Things have changed. But I did get a screen test for a horror movie a couple of years ago. And I got to fly out to LA. They flew me out. They put me up and I'm auditioning to be the lead in a horror movie. Had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. It was a whole thing. And I got really close. But we were sitting in the room because they were bringing in combos of moms and dads and kids. It was like a, you know, a family in a haunted house kind of horror movie. Okay. So sad you didn't get it, by the way, but go ahead. I'd be so happy. The director team, they came in to talk to us and they were like, hey, everybody, like, sorry, this is taking so long. We are going to like order some sandwiches and lunch for you guys. And then one of them was like, funny story. He said, you know, this woman came up to me and she asked me this and she was like 40. And the other guy's like, I know. Oh, the horror. A 40-year-old spoke to you? I'm so sorry that happened to you. Yeah, so as soon as I hear this, you know, these whippersnapper directors saying somebody was like 40 as shorthand for will never be relevant again, I'm like, all they have to do is, you know, I am DBB and I'm out of here, which is what happened. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I mean, I just... I often say, like, watch your story. People aren't thinking what you think they're thinking and stop being so sensitive. Relax. Like you're making you're layering all this stuff on there that's not really there. In this case, you can forget all of that because it really is like you walk in and you're like, Greek. And then on the flip side of that, at my job, you have a level of perspective that those 20 somethings don't have. But it's hard not to come off as like the wizened crone. Like I just kept finding myself in every meeting wanting to be like, this is nonsense. Everything you're talking about is ridiculous. It, You're debating minutia that doesn't matter at all. Like, and that's not that desirable, I find, in an employee. Like being the person who's like, listen, compared to a kid with a horrible ear infection, this matters not at all in the wider world. Like, of course, they don't have any perspective, but it can be really hard to like translate like your brain without just coming across as like the crazy troll in the corner who's like, get over it. It doesn't matter. Your whole lives mean nothing. The bias is real. So Katie Weishar, she did a study at UNC Chapel Hill. She sent out 3,300 fake resumes for real job openings. And she, you know, 
proposed sort of three types of job applicants for these jobs. One was somebody who was currently employed with no employment gap at all. The second type were people who had been unemployed for 18 months. And the third type were currently stay-at-home parents. And she did this for men and women. Can I take a wild guess who did the worst in that category? It would be the stay-at-home moms. Actually, the results were the stay-at-home dads did the worst of the worst because we as a society have this weird, like, what are you a stay-at-home dad for? You're a weirdo. So they did the worst, but the stay-at-home parents in general were about half as likely to get a call back for the job as people who are just unemployed, and only a third as likely as people who are currently employed. And all these people, I should go back and say, were parents. So they were all parents, but it was the stay-at-home ones that were perceived as much less worthy than the people who had been working but were unemployed or the people who had never stopped working as opposed to the people who got off the merry-go-round entirely. Well, you talk about in entertainment, it's this way too and everything. There is this weird sense of like inertia, you know, an object in motion stays in motion. Like the idea always when I was writing is like, you got to get a job. Like if you have a job, you got to get a job. Like the worst thing for people to ever see is you not having a job because somehow it puts this stink on you. Like, well, no one else wants them. So why should we want them? Like this idea that like the second you step off of this crazy merry-go-round, like you just get thrown off into the wilderness from which you will never return. And it seems crazy, but there is some fundamental truth to it too, which is like, it is a lot harder to get a job if you don't have a job. Okay, so it's a double whammy because the perception is, first of all, that what we were doing uh, when we were focusing on our families was less worthy than working. And then even when we're coming back to work, that we're going to be less committed in the future. I mean, there is a bias against us because like, oh, the first strep throat, this person can't come to the meeting. And it gets more complicated because they can't bring that up in a meeting for legal reasons. They can't discriminate against you for that reason in the hiring process, except they they can't <laughs> do. Right. They can't say they're discriminating against you. So you have to figure out a way to sort of own it and talk about it and preempt that fear because they're thinking about it and won't bring it up. But clearly it's kind of front of mind. Right. So it seems like there's two routes, basically. There's three routes. One, forget it. Stay home with your kids. Figure out, you know, how to become independently wealthy Two, return to the same job you had after kids or three pivot to a new job that is more in line with having kids. Yes. And I should say our guest today, we're going to be talking to Christina Geist, who's a friend of mine who did this post kids pivot. She was a marketing person before kids still is a marketing person. But after the mom gap opened her own marketing company rather than working for a big one, started a small business that's been an Oprah magazine. She'll tell us about that. And she has a children's book coming out. So she's a real slouch. Oh, yeah. Just sitting around eating bonbons, doing not much. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What it's like when you decide that you're going to for because you have to or because you want to. The old thing that you did is not what you want to be doing anymore. And you want to sort of pivot with purpose as you reenter the workforce. How do you sort of own the gap and not apologize for it, but reassure the prospective employer at the same time? Well, I think the first part of that is to really analyze like where you're coming from and where you're going to, right? Like I had my kids later, as we know, I had been a television writer 
six working, I made my living. I had an agent, made my living writing for television, which is, you know, no small thing. But I give myself a bat pat. Yeah. Bat pat? Why? I can't say that word. A back pat for that. Like, but I was never at the point where like people were like, oh, what does Margaret have next? We can't wait. You know, like I was always hustling and it was going fine, but not great. Never really had like a big break was always kind of scraping and scrapping it together. And then I had kids and I was 37. So I was definitely facing that thing of like, I was already getting to be the oldest person in the room wherever I went. And I wasn't like elder statesman. Like if you're not, you know, super successful running the room by the time you're 40, like that's the old person in the room, the 40 year old who's running it. I was still like looking for those hustly entry level jobs. Like no one is looking for a 40 year old lady with kids in those jobs. And so I basically in my analysis was like, that is no longer realistic for me. I did think I could possibly write things on spec and sell them. So I wrote a screenplay for a long time that didn't sell. And so then that was frustrating. Like, wait, I don't want to spend, basically I spent two years of my life writing a movie. And then as I was ready to take it out on the market, someone else had basically just sold that same movie. So it was like, oh, two years down the drain. So that lesson was like a big kick in the teeth, but also a lesson like, oh yeah, yeah, it's not going to be that. And so then I was like, I have to reinvent myself. That was my analysis that led me to like, whatever is next is not what I've been doing before. And that's an opportunity. I mean, it's a little bit maybe of sort of new age packaging for yourself, but I think it is true. It is an opportunity to say, okay, what did I like about what I was doing before? And what was the best part of me? Because sort of when you're happiest and what you're good at are often the same thing. Now, it might be watching Real Housewives, but like out in the real world, like my best self, like say, for example, like I'm happiest, like I love public speaking. I love the live shows that we do for moms. Like I love that and I'm good at it. And so I think that the your Venn diagram sort of overlaps the things you love doing and the things that you can tell you're good at doing kind of the same thing. But like, okay, you loved writing movies. Awesome. And sometimes it's not up to you. Right. That's the thing. Like what I love, nobody wanted to pay me to do. And so I had to find something new. So I'm going to lay down my big advice for you, Amy. I have. It's good advice though. Get ready. Get a pencil out, everybody. In a screenplay, you have something called the log line. And the log line is like the log line for the movie E.T. is an alien moves into a suburban home and the kids take care of it without their mom knowing. That's the log line. You know, can I do an old deluxe alert? It's like if uh, TV Guide back in my day, it would be like the one sentence thing in TV Guide next to the movie. And it sums up the whole thing it's about in one line. Could you describe E.T. for 20 minutes? You could. But the log line is like, you know, it distills the most important thing or theme or whatever into one sentence. And it's actually a writing exercise, right? Like you need to be able to describe your movie in one sentence or you're not done writing it yet. The reason you have a log line exactly as you're writing as a screenwriter, you have to know your log line when you're writing it. Because then when you're like, this is the scene where the sister in the E.T. family goes to the mall and meets a boy, it's, you're off your log line. That's not what the movie's about. So you shouldn't be writing that scene. It re-guides you back, back, back. And so I have developed, and I think it's a great idea to develop a log line for your own career. Like what, if you were to distill what it is you want to do and be 
what is that one line? Okay, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking with business owner, author, and mom gap survivor, Christina Geist. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. I am so excited to be here today with my friend, Christina Geist. She's a brand strategist, entrepreneur, and children's book author who lives in New York City, like me, with her husband, NBC and MSNBC host, Willie Geist, and her two kids. Christina owns two companies, True Geist, a branding and design firm, and Boombox Gifts, which makes customized memory boxes that help you crowdsource love. They're beautiful. We'll talk about that. She has self-funded Boombox, by the way, for four years with her income from True Geist and has taken zero outside investment. And in her spare time, because you can tell she's a real slouch, she writes picture books for children. And her second book, Sorry Grownups, You Can't Go to School, is out from Random House this week. Hi, Christina. Hi, Amy. Good morning. So we're talking this week about the mom gap and getting back out there. And you came to mind as the perfect guest for this because you have more pots on the stove than I feel like anybody I know. And you do it all. And it's a very interesting set of things that you do. Well, thank you. I'm happy to talk about the mom gap. I feel like I'm still navigating it. It's funny. We talk about pots on the stove and it reminds me of this anecdote my mom tells about my great grandmother, my Nana, who lived to be 97, who was like the quintessential Italian great grandmother, who we were very close to growing up. And when my younger siblings were born, 10 and 11 years younger than me, so I was a tween with two babies in our household and just sort of, you know, 
helping my mom and loving my brother and sister. I did that too. I was in that life. I know we have this in common. Yeah, it was fun. My great grandma said to my mom at some point, she's just so capable. (laughs) (laughs) And so whenever we talk about anything, you know, work, life, all of that, my mom's a good example of the mom gap and moving in and out in her own career. She's been a great role model, but she'll remind me of that, that when I was young, Nana saw it in me. She's just so capable. My mother once gave me like a poem for my birthday, and I wish I had it because I think of it all the time. It was about oldest sisters. And all I remember is the end of the poem about how they they don't get paid when they babysit. Yes, older sisters may gripe a bit, but they love and they laugh and they get things done. And Lucky's the man who can marry one. That was the uh, poem. (laughs) That's sweet. And I think it's true. We're very capable, you and I. We are. So I guess I've always been a multitasker since a young age. And I will accept the compliment from my Nana at being capable. And I think with the mom experience for me, I came up in creative jobs. I came out of college as a news writer for my local CBS affiliate in Nashville, Tennessee, where I went to college thinking that I was going to be a news writer and quickly pivoted within a year and realized that that actually wasn't the right career path for me. So pivoting is something I've been doing since I turned 23 and realized, oh my gosh, this isn't the ladder I want to climb. Where do I go next? And public relations is a natural next step because in PR, you're communicating with newsrooms. So that felt like the right place for me. And then I learned a lot about brands and marketing and using your writing skills and creative writing to kind of further a brand and tell their story and sort of adopt a brand's voice or in some cases, someone in senior management when you're writing speeches or talks or press releases, you're writing in other people's voices. So from a young age, I was doing that kind of creative writing for clients and then found my way really learning all about marketing and thought, oh my gosh, why didn't, I should probably should have majored in this in college and learned on the job all about how to build a brand and how marketing works and how products go to market. And True Geist was founded just a couple of years ago. Is that right? Yes. So my mom gap began actually when I was working at Johnson & Johnson. And I went through both of my pregnancies and maternity leaves there, ironically working on the baby business, on the global baby business and a few of the beauty brands. When my kids were three and one, I sort of threw it, threw up the white flag or you know, threw in the towel, whatever kind of <laughs> phrase you like to use for it. And it was just too much. Everything was too much. At that point, my husband's career went on this kind of vertical trajectory where he was transitioning from working late nights in sports and news TV shows to actually working very, very early mornings. I remember his show. It used to be on before Morning Joe, right? It was like, get up really early or something. Yes, it was called Way Too Early. It was Way too great, early. great yes. naming. I didn't name it. I wish I had. But yes, so we kind of looked at each other. And I think for me, the mom gap has a lot to do with my marriage and my partnership with Willie and that we looked at each other and just something had to give, you know? And so I left J&J when my kids were three and one. I had tried to do the three days a week thing. I felt like I had kind of tried everything and they were very accommodating and flexible with me in the global strategic design office where I worked. I just needed to take a break. And so I did that for four years. I was home with the kids, getting them through preschool, figuring out motherhood rather than studying it. Because when I was at J&J, I worked on the baby business and my job was to really understand moms and understand families and study them to be better designers and to be, you know, 
And all of a sudden I felt like I am one. I've got to go live this. This is really strange to be sitting in focus groups studying moms when I am a mom. You're soaking in it. We say, yeah. um, remember that old Deluxe Alert? Back in my day. That Paul Malavad. You're younger than me, but you remember Madge, right? With her, yep, she's soaking in it. And so are you. Yes, exactly. I do remember those. And so I took a break and I was home for four years and a lot of ideas happened in that stretch of time. Okay, so you're in that four years, right? Mm-hmm. How did you know it was time to re-enter? Were you itchy or did your partner sort of come to you with this idea? How did the re-entry plan come to be? A couple things happened all at the same time. I feel like for me, life has to happen to me a little bit. And then I see where it's going to go. And I've never had five-year plans. I've never thought about life that way. I just can't do it. And I feel like when you make plans like that, you're only kind of setting yourself up to feel like you failed if you don't live up to them. So I never really looked that far ahead. I didn't really have it in mind of, okay, well, I'm going to be home for about five years and this will be that stretch of time and then I'll jump back in. So it didn't really go that way. What did happen was a couple things. So first of all, when I was home in that time, I had a lot of creative energy that I had been funneling into my job. And when you're a creative person, I mean, Amy, you're an actress, you're a writer, I'm sure you had this experience too. When it's not going somewhere else, it's got to find a place to go. And so... Yeah, like water, right? It has to find a place to go, good or bad. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And so for me, that all of a sudden became these stories that were dancing around in my head that were picture books, that were children's books. I never could have written those at any other point in my life had I not been a mom at the time. And I would just watch. I would watch my own kids. I would watch toddlers on scooters scooting around New York City. I would be in their preschool classrooms. I'd be on the playgrounds. And these ideas would start to kind of come to me. And so I wrote a bunch of manuscripts the year my kids were three and five. And that was the kind of genesis for my books. At that same point in time, my friends started to turn 40. So my best friend from college, who's a year older than I am, was the first among my close group of friends to turn 40. And being the kind of crafty and creative one in my group of college friends, I took on the task of creating a memory box for her as we were getting ready, gearing up for her big 40th birthday weekend. This is five years ago. And collected messages and memories from everybody I could track down over email. I keep my 1997 Yahoo email account because it's like the best time capsule ever. And did a bunch of detective work and we tried to find as many people as we could in her life. Our goal was to find 40 people for her 40th birthday and just get them to write her a letter and put those inside a beautiful jewelry box. And the process of doing that became a very, very big idea for me. So that was the beginning of Broombox which happened right around the same time that I got in a meeting at Random House, which had taken me several years to get to where I was sitting in an editor's office with my picture book manuscripts. And this is when you and I had breakfast and we really like sat down together for the first time. And because we had some, you know, publishing things in common and you tell me about the publishing stuff. And then you also say, and I have this other kind of big idea. And you told me about Boombox and you just know, you know, when you hear an idea and you're just like the hair stand up on your arms, like, yeah, that is something that would work. So I feel like I've watched this company grow from afar and have always just really believed in it. So we did a a boombox for my oldest when he graduated from eighth grade. We did a boombox and this company that Christina's created, it makes it so easy. You've taken this very arduous process 
for yourself and sort of made it into a, a system that's very easy for somebody to do for an anniversary or a graduation or, I don't know, a wedding? What kind of things do people order boomboxes for now? Yeah, well, thank you, first of all. And you were there in the beginning on our first date. I remember our first date very <laughs> yes. well. I remember it well. And yeah, and so, I mean, the most popular occasions for boombox are birthdays, anniversaries, retirements. But then we really span the life cycle of a human who is out there in the world making, you know, having interactions with people. So anything from a baby shower through to a wedding, through to graduations, going off to college, honoring employees. And we're doing more kind of corporate gifts now where a company or a university is gathering around to honor someone either for a retirement or for a big milestone or an anniversary. So it's really just, I see it as a tool as opposed to a gift to help people come together and just write one message from their phone or from their computer. And that all gets congregated into five by seven cards inside of a beautiful box. The box itself is important to me too, that it feel like a gift in its own right. Tell us the website right now so we don't forget, and then I'll say it again at the end. Sure. It's Boombox Gifts with an S on the end. So boomboxgifts.com. And has the company grown more quickly than you expected? Or is it sort of on schedule? You just said you don't have a five-year plan. So what did you think when you sort of hung out the shingle, I'm going to start this new company? What were your sort of hopes? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And I mean, the first thing I had to do was hang out the other shingle at Truegeist. So my old business partner in crime, Todd True from Johnson & Johnson, had reached out to me. This was the third piece of the puzzle and said, I think I'm you know, ready to leave corporate America. Do you want to go into business together? And it was right when I really felt like I needed to give Boombox a shot and that we were in a position as a family where we could live without my income because we had been for four years. So I could afford to take a risk. And I think that's an important thing where we talk about the mom gap or we talk about entrepreneurial moms and jumping in and jumping out. And funding's a big piece of that. And it's a big hurdle for people. So I was lucky to say, oh my gosh, okay, here's this opportunity with my left hand to go back to my day job and we'll hope that we do well in that startup, but doesn't have any overhead. It's just our ideas and our laptops. And if that does well, then maybe I can raise enough capital to build the boombox experience, which was far more expensive to get off the ground because we're talking about a technology platform. So when I first launched boombox, it was very what people call a soft launch. It was, let me do just enough to create this website that allows you to almost have a modified paperless post-like experience where you're plugging people's email addresses into a system and email invitations going out to them. Instead of RSVPing to a party, they're instead clicking to write a message to a person. And then I'm gathering all that data and I'm doing that in as simple of a way as possible so that it doesn't inhibit your 75-year-old mom from participating in the same way you would want your 35-year-old friend. Right. And why it's so good, I want to say, is that it's frictionless. Like if I'm setting this up for my husband's 40th birthday, I put the emails in and then Boombox is the one who's writing to his college roommates a couple of times saying, by the way, don't forget the deadline is next week. It makes it, you know, it takes you out of it once you set it up, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So that was those were the things we kind of had to test and learn right out of the gate. So it was a soft launch to understand how people would use this. My first question was, will people emote in this way when a brand is suddenly involved? So it's quite different than reaching out to your husband's college buddies and saying, hey, send me a message for David is a different interaction than getting an email with a brand name involved. 
And then do you start to ask, well, who's reading these? Who's this brand? What is this boombox, right? So right out of the gate, I needed to understand if people would still emote the same way or would it be a barrier for them? And the interesting thing from a psychological and cultural perspective is there's no barrier anymore. I mean, people are like sharing, you know, ad nauseum. So <laughs> that was not the hurdle. <laughs> the overshare is, yes. is good in this case. Yes, yes. So that was not a hurdle at all. But of course, there were other things that people needed right out of the gate. I didn't anticipate that you would buy more than one box. I just thought this is the gift you give for that 40th or 50th or 70th birthday. And then what happened is people would come back and buy that gift again. So I really launched it very quietly and observed in that first year to figure out how it needed to work. And then we've just been building ever since. And quite honestly, Amy, the site will turn four years old in September. We have never stopped building in those four years. That's been another big aha for me, um, having never launched a technology business before, that it is very organic and it grows every day. You're never quite finished. So don't be afraid of the tinkering. It's just part of it. It's just going to be that way. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, I think in hindsight, if I go back and I had said to myself four years ago now, you know, in the summer thinking, I'm going to turn this thing on after Labor Day. And if you had sat me down and said, well, not only are you going to turn it on, but this is what the next four years are going to really look like. And this is, you know, how much money you're going to put into this because it's going to work and it's going to help people love each other and it's going to have a profound impact emotionally on the people that receive one. So you're going to become more and more passionate about it than you even can imagine right now. And this is what's really going to happen and what you're going to pour into it. If someone had laid that out for me, it might have seemed overwhelming. But, you know, it, business grows with you like a child and, you know, you just have to be honest and nurturing along the way. So do you think it was a sort of like the re-entry sort of building as you go? Do you think that made it work for you? That you, you were starting from, like you had this big corporate job, you take four years off, then you come back in and you're kind of starting from zero, but it's not like you're jumping into double dutch. You're actually building something from the ground up. Did that make it easier re-entry in a way? I think so for me because I was answering to myself. And it's funny, actually. So my business partner, Todd, when we first, when he first said, let's launch a firm together, let's do this. My reaction was, why don't you do it? And I'll work for you. And you can just hire me and I'll freelance. And that way I'm not fully like committing myself to this business. And can you, you know, I hear myself say that I tried to talk myself out of an opportunity that came my way because I didn't want to overcommit or I didn't want to put myself in a position where I was drowning all of a sudden in this responsibility and jumping back into this kind of corporate lifestyle that I didn't want to go back to. So shame on me and lucky me at the same time that I've got some really good men in my life who, you know, and he turned back to me and said, no, come on, this is how we're going to, we're not going to do this and not do it 50-50 because it wouldn't work that way. And he didn't mean 50-50 in terms of, you know, you've got to put in this many hours a week and you've got to commit to all this stuff and sign your life away and commute every day and be at the desk from eight to five. That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying the value of his work is not as strong without the value of my work with it. And therefore our work product is a 50-50 
collaboration. So there's no way to split it any other way. So with that vote of confidence, we both kind of entered into this saying, all right, we're going to start this business, but we're going to live our lives and we're going to be with our families. And that's why we're doing this on our own, because neither one of us wanted to go back to a more kind of structured corporate environment. And that's how we work. He's on vacation this week. I was on vacation last week. We cover for each other. And it works well because we had that confidence in each other and we had worked together for many years. So that was a big piece of it for me of how to go back in without the guilt that I think a lot of people experience when you're like looking at your watch and maybe leaving the office before the younger people that don't have kids because you want to get to the recital and everyone's sort of like, oh, well, she's got to go to her kid's thing. You know, that dynamic is still present for a lot of moms in the workplace. So for me, jumping back in didn't involve that piece. Let's talk a little bit about the book because you guys, Christina has a company, she has a business, and then you also write these children's books that are so sweet and adorable. And the first one is called Buddy's Bedtime Battery. And it's about a little boy who needs a little extra help sort of powering down for bedtime. And so he and his parents have a loving ritual around this, right? Like around powering down parts of his body, like he's a robot. Yeah, yeah. He lives in a very typical, in my mind, Buddy's three and a half in that story. In Sorry Grownups, he's a little bit older, but he's three and a half and he's in his own world, right? He's an imaginary just being. Everything is a character. I was visiting my almost three-year-old nephew the other day and he had the fire jacket on and the fire hat. You know, we had the police hat on and the whole world that a toddler lives in is not real. It's fluid, right? Yeah. Or it's all real, right? Everything's equally real. Totally. And this is why every preschool classroom has a dress up area and the boys and the girls love it equally. And so for me, Buddy was just in that zone of it's bedtime. He's a robot. He is Robuddy. And I think it's a common experience for parents that you can fight that and you can be done with it at that time of day, particularly at that time of day. A lot of times you're just done. Or you can sort of roll with it and get that little robot ready for bed. And it was based on this real technique called progressive muscle relaxation that I learned in a high school wellness class and I never forgot. I have to go back and find that teacher and thank her. But yeah, it's a real technique that you use to sort of, you stress or tense a muscle and then you relax it and you move through your body one muscle group at a time. And it just helps you release energy and just kind of calm down or release stress. I didn't do that every day by any means, but I had sort of called on it in my life since high school if I was kind of not be able to sleep in the middle of the night or this or that. And so one night with Lucy, with my older child actually, not my son, when she was a toddler jumping out of bed all the time, it became very difficult when she moved to a bed to get her to stay in that bed. I just one night started to say, okay, your feet are off, beep, beep your knees are off, beep, beep. And we moved up her body and sort of beeped her to bed. And that was the inspiration for this little guy who needs a process like that to power himself down for bed. Brilliant. The new book is called Sorry Grownups, You Can't Go to School. And this sort of turns the traditional back to school book on its head. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine what it's about. The grownups are trying to go to school and we're so sorry, but, you know, some things are for us and some things are for you. That's just the way it is. And so this story was inspired actually also by my daughter when she was about going to like a little summer camp program that took three-year-olds a couple days a week. 
And a full week before she was going, I just started to walk around the house and tell people so sorry that they couldn't go to camp. You know, the dog or her grandparents, everybody in the family, like, we are so sorry, you cannot go to camp. And they'd cry and they'd try to go to camp and they'd beg to go to camp. And, you know, you could see this toddler just sort of like puff up her shoulders because she was going to camp. And for me, a lot of those transitional stories, and there are so many of them that are written and they're written beautifully. And I'm not trying to diminish the value of a lot of the off to school or back to school books that are out there. But so many of them feature characters that are what I call the three S's, shy, scared, or sad. And I didn't want anybody to be shy, scared, or sad. I didn't even want to talk about those emotions because of course they're there, they're under the surface. But the story didn't exist for me that ignored those emotions or that gave them, you know, to the parents and gave the power to the kids. So in this book, Buddy's grown up a bit. He's off to kindergarten and Lady, his older sister, is in my imagination, she's in second grade. And of course the grown-ups and even the dog, Bow Wow, are trying desperately to go to school. And the book is out, like, this is birthday week for this book. It just came out. It's available everywhere. Yes, yes. It's available everywhere, and it's a lot of fun. It's called Sorry, Grownups, You Can't Go to School. Christina, tell us about where we can find the book, find you, find Boombox, find everything. Sure. The easiest place is actually just christinageist.com because that is going to link through to everything. It links through to True Geist, to Boombox Gifts, and to my books, The books are available anywhere that you buy books that you love, whether that's online or in your local bookstore. If they don't have it in your local bookstore, it would mean the world to me if you would ask for it. That does make a huge difference. And I've learned not to be shy about these things. And I also visit schools. I visit libraries and I visit with groups all the time. I'm also happy to do video greetings or to read the story by video. And all of those ways to reach me are just all easily linked to christinageist.com. So that's probably the easiest thing for listeners to do. Love it. Christina, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you, Amy. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. (laughs) But all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? 
Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And now, maximizing your mom skills for your getting back out there job resume. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. You survived twins. I have experience maximizing positive outcomes while overseeing simultaneous projects for diverse clients with opposing goals over multi-year periods. You fed three children regular meals. I oversaw purchasing and distribution of foodstuffs on a strict and limited budget. I successfully provided a variety of healthy options for varied diets, including special attention to allergens, on a three times a day basis for a diverse and demanding set of diners. You had kids who played soccer. I supervised transportation and logistics of equipment and food support needs, including schedule management. I provided emotional and tactical support for a high-needs competitive team. You had a two-year-old. I displayed an array of conflict resolution skills on a daily basis in a high-conflict environment with a demanding and unreasonable overlord with consistent success. You kept your house clean. I directed and completed purchasing and implementation of supplies to maintain a clean and sanitary workspace in a potentially toxic environment in full compliance with OSHA standards. You were a mom. Seriously, people, I survived children, for God's sakes. Three of them. Do you really think there's anything your well-mannered corporate environment is going to throw at me that I can't handle? Give me the job already. This has been Maximizing Your Mom Skills for Your Getting Back Out There Job Resume. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. So we were talking before about this idea of log lines. And I think it is the idea of just distilling and having some clarity about what you're trying to do. Because going back to work can just feel like, should I become a pastry chef? Like the good news is the world is your oyster. But the bad news is like, are you going to end up doing something you like? Or is your job, your logline might be provide for my family at all times. That might be your logline. And then you're just going to try to find the job at which you can make the most money. Sure. Right. Totally legit logline. Getting health insurance is a completely legitimate reason to work. Right. And believe me, so my logline for my life is be funny in public. That's my logline, my career logline. Like whatever I try to do, I've been a stand-up comic. I've been a performer. I've been kind of an actor, although it didn't go very well. I've been a writer. I've been a blogger. And now I'm a podcaster. And now I do live shows. Like, I, I'm always basically pursuing, in to some degree, this idea of be funny in public. I have also had the logline in my life of get health insurance for my family, at which point I worked a job that, you know, wasn't as desirable. So it's a bit of a luxury to have the logline of like, what do I really want to do? But if you're in that position, I think it's a really smart way to think about it. 
it's a powerful thing because you're in this moment like, okay, get a new job. How are you going to do that? You're going to follow your passion. What's my passion? I don't know what my passion is. And by looking sort of inward or backward, I guess I should say, these are the things I've done well. This is when I was sort of living my best self and distilling what that is then you can sort of move more confidently in the new direction if the old direction isn't open to you by following that thing. Like for me, it's sort of connecting with women is sort of my log line that moves me through whatever I do. And so therefore, even though podcasting, I wasn't following my passion when we started this podcast, but I was following my log line of connecting with women. And so it was easy for me to see, oh, this is going to be worth the work I'm going to put into it. It's worth a shot. And you can have different things and you can have, I mean, I think it sounds a little indulgent, this idea of like, oh, my log line and da, da, da. like a lot of people have to make a living and a lot of people are not 100% sure of what that thing is. Another thing that I did when I got back is I have always enjoyed teaching and I got a volunteer job teaching, which has turned into a job that has some potential to be other than volunteer. And that's, I think, one way to get a good first step is to find something that you can get involved in in your community and see. It's also like there used to be a thing. I don't know if they still do it, which was like, go try your passion. Like if you were a person who was like, I want to start a bed and breakfast, they would give you, you paid for it, but it was like a week where you could go run a bed and breakfast and see if you really actually wanted to run a bed and breakfast because you don't realize how much of running a bed and breakfast is laundry. You know, you think it's all like I'm scrambling eggs and meeting writers from all over the world. And really it's like, I'm changing beds every 10 seconds. Fighting with PayPal or something. Yeah. And so it kind of lets you this was like a whole idea of like, I want to be a chef. Oh, I love cooking. You don't realize like you're in a 123 degree kitchen, like chopping things all day. Like it's not like making dinner for your family. I want to go back to what you were saying about the volunteer work because Lisa Evans wrote an article for Fast Company. It's called Five Ways to Eliminate the Stay-at-Home Mom Gap. It's going to be in your show notes. And anyway, she her advice for your resume is do that volunteer work, but don't label it as voluntary. That's irrelevant. They don't need to know. And so if you, you know, you headed up the um, fundraiser for your school or you did this volunteer work that could turn into a job, it's work. Absolutely. And it helps keep your skills. And while you're in the gap, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Because I do think that people undervalue the women who run our PTA, like I would hire them to do anything. I would hire them to like run the nuclear program. Like these ladies are organized. They're like, you know, they've got it going on. But... I think if you wrote PTA down, people are like, yeah, great, you sold some brownies. Like they don't, you have to think of it like a resume. Like I organized a multitude of people to blah, whatever however people speak on a resume, you know, like it's not just like I bake brownies. Let's talk about networking because I think the sort of advice that you get in all these articles is you should have been networking all along. Don't stop networking. What if you stop networking? And the way back in, I think, is to, again, lean on other women, lean on the other moms who totally understand how hard it is to raise, you know, $40,000 for your school and will admire you and work with you. Christina Geist and I actually, when she had her first book coming out, really how we connected is that a mom friend we had in common when Christina said she had this book coming out and she had to go through the whole publicity process, this friend Elena is like, you should meet Amy because Amy did this and she could talk to you and that's how we connected and now we network all the time and put our heads together on stuff but we met because another mom put us in 
contact. So if you know you're getting ready to get back out there, I think you have to be shameless about asking for what you need from your mom friends. This is the key to life because I feel like people, maybe especially women, are reluctant to do just that. And this is where you go to your book club and you're like, hey guys, I really need to get a job. I'm looking to get back to work. And, you know, first of all, other women will help you brainstorm, but they may also be like, I know someone, you know? They may be able to put, this is how you and I got together, really. I mean, Amy and I have known each other, whatever, forever. Amy went to college with my sister, but we hadn't really been in touch. And then I was working that job that I went back to and saw Amy in a video that kind of went by my desk. And I thought, oh, I should just go have coffee with her and see what she's up to. And, you know, in the course of that, I had kind of had this idea for a podcast. And during coffee, I was like, hey, you'd be good at a podcast. Let's put that together. But I mean, it's not always going to be quite that seamless. And you're gonna it's like dating again. Now you're going to kiss a lot of frogs, you know, and you might find situations that are not perfect for you. And you may find a lot of different things, but you have to be putting yourself out there and trying. And this is something that I think a lot of people are not good at. And this is imposter syndrome. And this is like, no one wants me. I'm old. I've been out of it. No one cares about me. And the fact of the matter is like, if you've been running your PTA or running your household, you are extremely competent at everything. Yeah. Yeah. Someone would be lucky to have you. And you've got to translate those skills. Dory Clark, she wrote an article for Harvard Business Review about how to be proactive in your interview when you go back in after a gap like this. And so she says you need to lean in and be front-footed on the why me, why now? And just don't be afraid to talk about these were my caregiving responsibilities. Here's how they've changed, enlightened. Again, just address the elephant in the room that they're never going to ask about, but they want to know about. Here's here's why I'm really ready to dedicate to this. And your stuff, and don't apologize for it. The gap on your resume is, you can't sort of pretend it's not there. And the thing is, work leads to work, and not working leads to not working. And so it is the kind of thing, too. My cousin, who I was speaking about, she'd been out of work for 15 years. We went back to this job together, and she really struggled at the job, no lie. She struggled with the technology. She struggled to kind of keep pace. Everything about it was difficult for her. And I think extremely stressful. And she went home every night, like possibly in tears, being like, I am so old, inept. And it was awful to watch because I felt like terrible just how hard it was for her. She now has a big executive job at a major media channel because she just kept going. She just had to like get back on the bike with training wheels on. And everyone was like, look at that foolish 45 year old with on a bike with training wheels. Doesn't she look like an idiot? And it hurt her feelings and made her feel bad. And every day she went home feeling bad about it. And then she got the bike back under her, took the training wheels off. And now she's like winning the Tour de France. You know, I mean, don't forget that there is going to be a process that may involve having to prove yourself again. And there's a big part of us at middle age that doesn't want to do that. But it's part of the process and you can survive that part of the process. And there, it is also true that things are changing some, that companies need to hire women, want to hire women, are looking for qualified women, and are hopefully addressing some of the ageism that might be inherent as well. Some of them like have to, you know, some of them have it in their charter. They have to have equitable hiring. So 
I'm not saying it isn't hard, but I'm saying it might be getting a little bit easier for women to reenter the workforce than it used to be because they need us. And then if you are finding that like, I have a friend who was a model booker. That was her job before she got married and had kids and stopped working. She's probably not going into the model booking business, you know? You probably do that like by smartphone now, right? There's an app for that. I think if like a 30-year-old walks onto a model set, like a trap door opens and they are sucked off into like the ether. Like they do not allow people over 30 on modeling sets ever. I think they just wouldn't see you. I think- No, you would be like a chimera. Like, did a cold breeze just pass me by? Like, but so- She's realistic that like model booking is not an whatever, whether it's appropriate or not, it's not a great job opening for her at 47, 48. And so she is going to have to pivot. And so she's looking at a lot of different things. So like, but she has skills from that job. She has skills from doing all the things she's done in the 10 years since. And it's also possible she's looking at going back to school. Like it is a good time to be like, Hey, I loved being a model booker in my 20s, but since having kids, I've gotten really passionate about children with special needs. I've gotten really passionate about environmental issues in my community. I've seen all sorts of new things. So now I'm going to devote the second half or the middle half or whatever it happens to be of my career to something I have a passion about by going back to school and pivoting. I think that's a really good opportunity. And I will say there was a period of my life where I thought seriously, seriously about getting a social work degree because I have some stuff that I do for volunteer work that I'm very passionate about. And I was like, huh, that might be good. Like it would have been hard for me to walk away from the like being funny in public log line because I feel like that's the passion of my life. But I just think I could have been like, Make a difference in people's lives would have been a pretty good log line too. You the know, funniest social worker, funniest social worker ever. That could have been a good log line for me too. Wendy Walbridge, she's a career coach, and she has a metaphor that I really like. I'm really into metaphors all around this whole topic, but she says the sort of heads down linear career path that we're sort of told is the thing that we have to do. I mean, 50 years and then you get the gold watch kind of thing. I mean, that might not be true for anybody anymore, but it's certainly not true for women who caretake their parents, their kids, whatever. So she says that our lives are lived in spirals and that you're sort of like you're spiraling up, but it's not a straight line. And sometimes you might even be a little on a little bit of a uh, downtrend, but then you're going to come around the corner and it's going to go up again. So the trajectory is still moving upwards, but it's moving around and in and out of different things. Amy, by the way, is making crazy spirals with her hands right now that you can't see, but she's determined to get us to understand this. I wish this was an Instagram live. No, I really like this because it's sort of the the feeling bad about the nonlinearness of our career paths is a waste of time. And yet I think most of us do it anyway. So get rid of that. Absolutely. And there's a whole factor of invisibility from just getting older, you know, that you're already at 45 to 50 starting to feel like, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting more invisible out in the world. Just like the kind of general attention you used to get just for being alive and female in the world, like in good ways and bad, that's disappearing. But the idea then that you're going to put yourself out and be vulnerable to some 35 year old who's like, mm, we're going to go another way. Like it just seems so painful to consider it does but we have to lean in and we have to be there for 
I guess lean in is the biggest like cliche that I could use because it also puts the onus back on us. Like, just try harder. We're trying pretty hard. But I think instead of lean in, we sort of lean around each other and help each other through this because there are other women who very well understand just how capable you are because you have three clothed children who attend school every morning. <laughs> That's no small feat. Right. And don't be afraid to be like the monkey grabbing vines and being like, I'm just going to swing and see if there's a next vine out there. Because I think a lot of people sit back waiting. It's like being on a diving board and it's like, oh, I just have to leap and, and see if this works. And But the idea is it's only the first step. Like it might be the job that you're completely inept at and everyone goofs on you for being old, but it might then your resume kind of starts again once you have a job, mm -hmm. you know, and then it's easier to look for a job because now you're like, I'm the executive head of blah, blah, blah at the spokes corporation, you know, like you've got something. It's easier to jump to the next thing when you're somewhere. I want to give one more very concrete tip that I read that I thought was a really useful one. I believe it was from Dory Clark in that same Harvard Business Review. This is just something all of us can do and it's free. She says, okay, You've been out of things. You haven't been keeping up with trends in your industry. And maybe you're reentering things and you have your LinkedIn profile and that stuff out. Use your social media pages to share content. It doesn't have to be by you. It's just relevant content about what you do that shows you're up on the latest social worker stuff or whatever, that you read this stuff, you understand this stuff, you share this stuff. So if somebody looks at your LinkedIn page, here's a lot of interesting content about marketing or whatever. And it is a free and easy way to show that you are not completely dusty. Huh. Interesting and something I would have never considered. Yeah, I would never have thought of that. And it's like, oh, I could do that. Sure. And some of that stuff feels like, rah, rah, great. After I change the diaper, I'll make sure to go put a marketing link up on LinkedIn. Like It feels <laughs> like, right. are you kidding me? But they do. I mean... You know, I, the LinkedIn page is a little bit dusty and I'll go look at it and like my kid's soccer coach was looking at my LinkedIn page. People look at your LinkedIn page. So make it look relevant to whatever you want to be doing. Yeah, I think that's good advice, basically. I mean, I sometimes find that advice like uh, up your Twitter presence. It's like, oh, OK, great. I'll get to that <laughs> no, right after I run this carpool run. I'll up my Twitter right. presence. Can't wait to get right on that. But it's research you need to be doing anyway. And then just, you know, get linky on your phone and click share and... It's still a good tip. And like anything, like not every tip is going to work for you. And some if the tip makes you want to like scratch your face off, you can skip it. But keep in mind, like if you look around your life, what are the experiences that I've had that can translate? Who are the people who can help me get somewhere I want to be and maximize that stuff? And don't tell yourself the story that like I'm a stay at home mom troll who no one wants. Not true. Can I give you a Leeson Strongberg quote to wrap it up? Please do. She has a book called Work, Pause, Thrive, How to Pause for Parenthood Without Killing Your Career. This sounds like a good book for us. It's good. It's on my Kindle. I'm reading it right now. It's a good book. And here's her truth bomb for you. It's time we recognize that those who place the personal before the professional aren't failures. They are career innovators who have the courage and grit to risk it all for that which matters most. Boom. Put that on your resume. Put that. I would just sharpie that on your forehead when you go out for job <laughs> interviews. Hi, I'm Amy. I have the courage and grit to risk it all for that, which matters to me. If you'll refer to my forehead, you'll see I've written backwards what I want you to know about me. I have courage and grit. Okay, don't take my advice. Guys, if you want to get on out there, if you want to stay home, also great. Enjoy the gap. Enjoy the mom gap while you're in it. Enjoy the gap. Mind the gap, please. 
can't believe it took me all this time to make that joke. Guys, we want to know what you're doing. Are you getting back out there? Are you right in the middle of the mom gap? Where are you? You can come talk to us about it on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. We're also on Instagram at whatfreshhellcast and Twitter at WFH podcast. And you can find the links to all the stuff we talked about today in your show notes or on our website, whatfreshhellpodcast.com. We wanted to give another shout out to Christina Geist. Thanks for being on the show, Christina. Her new children's book, Sorry Grownups You Can't Go to School, is out this week. You can find out more about Christina's book and her company, Boombox, which Oprah Magazine called The Gift That Keeps On Being Treasured at ChristinaGeist.com. Talk to you next week. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.